showing everyone through his miracles, this is what my kingdom is all about. Restoration and life and outsiders welcomed in, the wounded being made whole, and lost sheep coming home to a loving God. But very few are actually coming. Very few are coming to Jesus and saying, I repent, I believe, and I want to follow you. Most are interested but uncommitted, and many are starting to outright oppose Jesus. Why? Jesus is saying, I think, in this text, now I see, I see why. There are two things that are keeping people from coming to me, and as long as they stay this way, they won't come. They'll never come, and they'll never know this rest that I want to give them. What are these two things? The first is in the woe. It's when people think they're too good to come. There's this woe here in verse 20. Look at it again. It says, he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done. Woe to you. Woe to you. A woe, what is a woe? We don't talk that way now. A woe is, is kind of like sorrow mixed with warning. It's sorrow and it's sober warning. We don't like Jesus denouncing, but remember to denounce is not to pronounce. He's trying to warn them of their danger so they would repent because they thought repent, that's for bad people. We're good people. The woes, notice, are given to the cities where he did most of his miracles and teaching. And what was the result of all that time that they spent with Jesus? Their lives were not changed at all. Nothing was different. So what Jesus is, is doing here is he's exposing their complacency, their spiritual self-confidence, that they had a moral superiority and a self-righteousness. That was what was underneath that complacency. They thought, if there is a judgment, of course, I'll be safe. Repentance, that's not what I need. That's for other people. Really bad people, messed up people, broken people. I'm too good to repent. So Jesus comes with a woe, and he shocks them by comparing them to three cities, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. These cities are three of the most wicked cities in all of the Bible that are judged for living in luxury and self-indulgence and complacency. Jesus says, you're not better than them. In fact, you are in a worse place than them. Why? Because of your goodness. Because you think you're too good to come, as long as you believe this, you won't come. So that's the first thing. Who won't come? Those who think they're too good. The second is in the prayer. The first was in the woe. The second is those who think they're too smart to come. We could call them the overconfident. Those in the woe are the complacent. These are the overconfident. Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, verse 25. You've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. Now, he's not just talking about intellectual confidence, though that's included. The contrast is brighter, he, broader than that. He says, 
the wise and the intelligent versus the infants. Not wise, intelligent versus the foolish or the simple. To be an infant means to be needy and dependent and to know it. Wise, intelligent people think we can figure it all out. I got God figured out. In this prayer, he says, in fact, the opposite is true. The reality of God is hidden to these people because the only way to know the Father is if I show you who he is. And the only way that I can show you who he is is if you come as an infant, needy and dependent. Here's why I think this is so, so important for us. Notice, Jesus pronounces woes not on individuals here, but on whole cities, on whole groups of people, that entire communities can develop an ethos of superiority, complacency, of false comfort, and overconfidence. And every individual in these communities is affected by that ethos. And Jesus says, those who are in the most danger of this are the people who are most familiar with me and the Bible. These are the people who won't come unless they break out of this corporate ethos. So here, my friends, I think this is what we need to hear from this text. And I need to say this to my Christian friends. Could Jesus give us a more accurate description of the American church, of Christians in Southern California, than this? People whose posture is complacent, comfortable, morally good, smart, confident, and capable. Jesus says, if that describes you, you won't come. So here's Jesus. And he's giving a woe. He's praying, making sense of why people won't come. And here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, how am I going to get through to people like this who won't come? Those who don't see their need for repentance. Those who are self-sufficient. Those who think they have it all figured out don't see their need for dependence. Here is how. Verses 28 through 30. I'll get beneath the surface of all they're trying to be good. All they're trying to be smart and confident to their restlessness, to their weary and burdened hearts. Who should come to Jesus for rest? Jesus says in verse 28, all who are weary and burdened, all who are fatigued and overwhelmed, all who are struggling and caring too much, as one paraphrase says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then you're ready to come. For those who are always trying to be good and avoid repentance, for those who are always trying to figure everything out and avoid dependence, Jesus says this. He says, I know your weak spot. I know your weak spot. You are so weary and burdened and restless. 
because people who are too good, too smart and confident, on the outside, you look good. You look like you have things put together and you're doing fine. But Jesus says, I know on the inside how exhausting it is for you to always be good enough and live like it's all up to me. This type of person is the most burdened and the most weary. I shared this uh, a few weeks ago in the e-news. We talked about this a little bit at our men's breakfast, but I think we need to talk about it again. There was a recent story, several news um, outlets released this, but it was in the OC register where I noticed it first. The headline said, severely burnt out. Over 50% of workers in Orange County and L.A. say they are severely burned out. And what was remarkable, what got my attention was, this is by far the worst in the nation, according to this survey. New York City, 34%. San Francisco, 29%. Chicago, 37%. National average, 28%. OC, LA, over 50%. As someone living here as a pastor, this got my attention, and I was trying to understand, well, how do we make sense of this? I think there are a lot of ways we can make sense of this, but I think it's more than work alone. We have the high cost of living. We have commutes. And I think more than anything for us living here in Southern California, it's the have it all, be it all, do it all, look good while I'm doing it, and crush everything ethos and attitude. The reality is, if this survey is at least close to the mark, we are all living just on the edge of burnout. And this is considered normal for all of us. It's not only considered normal for us, it's actually encouraged. If we're trying to do it all and be it all and crush it and look good doing it, everyone says, keep going. Yeah, that's it. That's what it's all about. That's the life. There's a few books we're reading this summer called Reset and Refresh, and they call this attitude burnout culture. According to the survey, burnout culture is at its worst here, so we should pay attention. Here's what I was thinking about this week. Maybe we should see the fact that half of us and our, our friends, our families, our coworkers, our neighbors are severely burnt out. Maybe we should see that as a warning light and as a gift from God. One author said, Burnout puts us in the spiritual ER, where we are finally ready and willing to hear Jesus. You know, if you ignore your physical health for so long, you live unhealthy, you wreck your body, and you end up in the ER, well then, hopefully, the doctors have your attention. You're listening. Friends, maybe Jesus really, really wants to get our attention. Maybe he really, really wants to get the attention of the church in our exhaustion of trying to do it all. Who are the weary and burdened ones that Jesus says should come and find rest? It's the wrecked and broken people 
who know it, who don't hide it anymore, they tend to come to Jesus very quickly. But it's also the good and the confident people who are faking it, who are trying to cover it all up and carry it all. Everyone, Jesus says, needs this rest, and I am the only one who can give it to you. So Jesus is saying, let me, let me tell you why. Why are you working so hard? Why are you doing so much? Why are you caring so much? I'll tell you why. You are searching for rest for your soul. St. Augustine, the great theologian, said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. How does this look? Well, maybe this will help. Maybe this sounds familiar to you. Maybe you're somewhere in this. We say, you know, when I get into the right college, or when I graduate college, then I'll rest. When I find that special someone that I'm looking for, then I can rest. Now, when I get the right job, when I find the right career and calling, when I reach my goals, then I'll rest. When I have kids, when I have a family, when I find my own home. No, when the kids get older and they actually sleep and they're not dependent on me for everything in their lives, then I will rest. No, when the kids go to college, empty nest, yes, that's rest. No, when I have enough and I've saved enough for retirement, then I'll be able to rest. No, when I retire, then I'll be able to rest. What's the lesson? If we're paying attention, if we're not avoiding the truth, if we keep going and going, Jesus says, you're looking for something that none of those things can give you. Rest for your soul. Who won't come? The good the confident, who should come? Everyone. Everyone should come. How do we come? Jesus tells us how to come, verse 29. He says it very clearly, very plainly. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke. Now, the people in Jesus' time and culture would have said, I tracked with you at the beginning, Jesus, and then what? Take up your yoke? They would have said, wait, what? Come rest, take up a yoke. These are polar opposites. This is an oxymoron. What is a yoke? I have some pictures for you. That is a yoke. Paul's right there. Some of you have seen that before. Does that look restful to you? Next picture. A yoke was something that two animals were bound together uh, by so they could be driven, so they could labor, so they wouldn't stop going, keep plowing the ground. Teachers in Jesus' day used the metaphor of the yoke as a way to describe the discipline, the hard work, and the commitment of a disciple to his master. They would say, are you ready to take up my yoke? And be my disciple. 
It was a word that meant hard work, labor, commitment. This is one of the least restful words Jesus could have chosen. What is going on? Jesus, you have the wrong picture. You have the wrong metaphor. Don't you mean come to me and rest? Take my recliner. (laughs) Take my hammock and finally rest. (laughs) We would expect Jesus to say that. We would want, I would want Jesus to say that. Come find rest for your souls. Take all the yokes off. Who needs yokes? Live yoke-free. Do what you want. That's not what he says. Instead, he says, take up my yoke. Follow me as master. Do what I say. Submit to me. Obey me. Submit to my discipline. Here's what Jesus is saying to all of us. And it won't make sense. Nothing about this will make sense until we see this. Jesus says, you have to see that the idea of a yoke-free life is just a fantasy. That's not real. Because we are all yoked to something. Everybody labors for something. Everybody's working for something. Like the animal on the yoke, it's what drives you. It's what moves you. It's where you're headed. It's what you want. And that is what really masters you. A few examples. You say, well, um, I don't know, Jesus, about your yoke. I would rather be yoked to my career and my success. I would rather be yoked to doing well in school and succeeding. Well, Jesus would say, your career then is what drives you, what you labor for. If you succeed, you can't rest because you fear failure. What if somebody takes your place? What if somebody does it better than you? So if you succeed, you can't rest. And if you fail, you can't rest. Because then you have the burden of not living up to what you should be crushing. Jesus says, you can't rest. Yoked to that. You could say, well, I'm going to be yoked to a person, a special person or people in my life. Jesus says, you have to have that person's approval and love. Is that the yoke you want? If that's what drives you, what you work for, well, when you have it, you can't rest. Because you might lose it. You might say something or do something wrong. You might get into a conflict and all of a sudden you've lost that person's approval. And when you fail, you can't rest until you get it back, until everything's restored and made right. It's all your fault. Your job is to make them happy. Does that sound restful? Last example. Say, no, I'm going to be yoked to my kids. I'm going to live for them. Do what they need. Well, parents, I think you'll resonate with this. If that's your yoke, either you are never a good enough parent, you always feel weighed down by the more that you should be doing, or you think you're a great parent, and your kids are always weighed down by what they should be doing because they're never good enough. No one's resting. In Orange County, we're so burned out because we don't just wear one yoke. We go from yoke to yoke to yoke. We put one down, we put another on, and we are exhausted and weighed down. Here's what Jesus says. All other yokes, no matter how good you are or how much you do or try, it's never good enough. Keep working. They all say, and when you fail, what happens? You carry all the blame and the guilt. 
It's your fault. It's on you. So there's always more to do. There's always more to carry. Jesus says, what's the answer? Take my yoke. Take my yoke. My yoke is different than all others. He says, my yoke is so different from any other. The only way that you can understand what it is and how to live it is you have to learn it from me. Verse 29, learn from me. We have to learn from him. Many of us have learned the wrong Jesus. We may have learned the wrong Jesus from church. It may be um, from other people. It may be our own distortions. But many, many people have learned a Jesus that is not just a little off and needs some correction and adjustment, but is completely and totally wrong and needs full reconstruction. Because this is the Jesus many of us learn. The message of Jesus and Christianity is be a good person, try harder, and maybe I'll accept you by grace, but I expect you to get your act together if I receive you. Friends, you need to know that is not Jesus. Here is what Jesus says makes my yoke different. The only way you take it up is when you realize you can't be good enough. That you repent and say, I don't know what to do. And admit your need. So how do we come? How do we come to Jesus to find rest? Here it is, and it's the only way. When you get to the place where you say, Jesus, I'm so weary, and I'm so tired of carrying it all. I'm tired of trying to be good and have it all figured out and bear it all. I can't be good enough. I don't know what to do. What is that? That's coming to Jesus. That's repenting. We good? Okay. We'll try it again. You guys good? <laughs> who won't come? Those who avoid repentance, those who avoid dependence. Who should come? We should all come. How do we come? We come with repentance and faith like an infant. If we don't get there, we will never come to Jesus. But here's the final thing I want to talk about this morning. As tired and as worn out as many of us are, and how much we want to find rest, you hear what Jesus says and you say, yes, if he could do that, I need that, I want that. The reality is, when we hear this, how to come, we refuse it. We say no. So why come to Jesus now for those who won't? Jeremiah and Isaiah. Jeremiah 6.16, we already read this. This is what the Lord says. Stand by the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient paths. Which is the way to what is good? Then take it and find rest for yourselves. But they protested, we won't. Isaiah 30, for the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel said, you will be delivered and saved by returning and rest. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence, in trust. But you are not willing. Now why, when we are offered rest, would we say, no, we won't. I'm not willing. 
Why would we refuse that? The answer is we're afraid. We're afraid of going so low and being so humbled, so afraid of failure and brokenness that our sense of self is yoked to our being good enough and smart enough and capable enough. And so we're afraid. If we take up Jesus' yoke, he'll just drive us more. He'll add more burdens to us. To this, Jesus says, take up my yoke because I am lowly and humble in heart. Jesus says, you don't have anything to fear because I am lowly and humble in heart. I read a story this week of someone trying to make sense. They couldn't relax. They were like, why can't I ever relax? So they went back into their family story, and they realized, oh, yeah, I remember. Whenever my mom came into the room, me and my siblings all were like, oh, we got to act like we're doing something. Like, get the thing out. Get the homework out. Because around mom, you don't relax. That's being lazy. Don't just sit around. There's always something to do. You need to know, friends, Jesus is not like that. He is not a a harsh taskmaster that says, get back to it. Why are you sitting around? Try harder. He's not an unrelenting, demanding boss that's always looking over your shoulder who's never pleased. Jesus is gentle and tender to the weary and the burdened. How lowly and humble is Jesus? How far will he go to show us that he did not come to add to our burden, but to bear them. But one of the things about Jesus, if you've read his story and if you've um, learned a little bit about him and you observe him at work in the Gospels, one of the things about him is he's always so at rest and so calm, no matter what's going around, going on around him. In the super intense moments, People are crowding in. They're sick and they're needy. People are dying. He says, I know what to do. He's calm. He's at rest. When he's challenged, people are challenging him to his face, calling him a demon and all kinds of things. He's calm. He's at rest. Even when he's passionate and sorrowful at the behavior and the response of others, the sense is he's in control. When he was arrested and beaten and tried, Jesus seems he's so at rest. He's so calm. There's only one exception to this. When Jesus lost his rest, when he became weary beyond his strength, when he cried out with a restless heart, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross. There he was in a place of utter restlessness. When he took up the full burden of our sins, when he took up the full burden of the justice of God against sin, all that fell on him, and he bore this restlessness. Why? So we could have rest. So we could trust him that he is that lowly and humble in heart. He's not above us as a harsh taskmaster. Jesus comes below us to bear our most important burden. Jesus says it clearly here. 
My yoke is easy. My burden is light. My Christian friends, you might say, yes, I know this. It's by grace you come to Jesus, not by works. But I'm still weary. I'm still burdened and restless. And a lot of that feels like it's because of my faith. This doesn't feel easy and light at all. What's going on? And here's where a lot of people give up. They say, I don't need this yoke of Christianity. I don't need this yoke of Jesus. I'm tired of trying. I'm burned out on Christianity. Jesus says it here. I know. All the other things that you've yoked your life to that have promised to give you rest have not delivered. But I will. He says it twice. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Now, either Jesus' promise is not true or there's something deeper down where we're still living by works. We're trying to be good enough and carry the burden ourselves. If you are living weary and burdened with no rest, friends, ask these questions. Am I trying to do things that God has not asked me to do? Am I trying to be something that God has not asked me to be? Am I carrying things that God has not asked me to carry? Did Jesus tell me to bear this? If not, then why am I bearing it? We ask these questions, we find out what we're really yoked to. To believe the gospel is to believe at the very deepest part of our being that the most important work that needs to be done is finished. It's not just good enough. It is complete and perfect Jesus' work for us. To believe the gospel is to believe that all the other work that needs to be done, all the work that needs to be done in us and in the world, it is not up to us. It is up to him and Jesus' work in us. The voice inside us that says, it's not enough. That's not good enough. Keep trying harder. It's up to you. Is not the voice of Jesus. Final, final story illustration. Uh, there was a pastor who was talking about this passage, and he said, one time I went out to a small rural church in the country, and I was preaching out there, and afterward I was having lunch with one of the farmers, and I noticed out in the field there was, um, there was an oxen that was plowing under a yoke. And there were two, actually. There was a big one, and then there was like this little tiny oxen as well. And they were plowing out there with the farmer. And the person whom he was eating lunch with, the other farmer said, hey, you see that? Said, well, the big oxen is doing all the work because the little one is just in training. He's just learning. He thinks he's working, but he's really not. One day, he said, he'll do the real work. And the pastor said, that reminds me of this passage. To be yoked to Jesus is to be yoked to his strength. He is pulling. He says, learn from me. One day, you'll be like me. But for now, in this life, just watch me. Just let me do the work. Just follow. The yoke that I put on you, it's for your good. In that sense, it's easy. Jesus asks us to do hard things, difficult things. This word easy means actually uh, it could be translated, it fits well. It fits. It's how we were made to live. Infinitely harder is trying to live against the grain. 
it fits, and the yoke is light. First John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In fact, therefore, are rest. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus. He will give you rest. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus.